How would you describe your Christian life? Maybe stagnant? Or would you describe it as inconsistent? Could you use the word apathetic? Could you use the word unfaithful? Would you call your Christian life unsteady? Or could you, thinking about your walk with God, use the word thriving? I am thriving in my Christian life. I am thriving in my relationship with God. That's what the Lord desires. That you and I do more than just kind of get by and go through the motions. God has so worked in us and given us the resources so that you and I might thrive. And we're going to see this desire for God, for God's people to thrive in the book of Joshua. So turn there with me, Joshua Chapter 23, we are nearing the end of this book. 24 chapters, and we've made it to the 23rd chapter, so we've got a couple sermons left, maybe three, maybe four. We'll see how that works out. But we're in Joshua chapter 23, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? Amen. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1, the Bible says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land. Just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And you are the reason that we're here. We gather as a faith family and we fix our eyes upon you. You are our hope. You are our life. You are our peace. You are our fulfillment. You are our purpose and meaning. It's all about you. And I pray, Lord, that as we gather and study your word, you will help us to understand your word. 
so that we can leave today more determined and more equipped to live for your glory. So Holy Spirit of God, as the word goes forth, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you give us the inclination to obey and to adjust our lives uh, with what we learn? And I pray that in all of this, the name of Jesus would be exalted. We would, Lord, rest in his finished work and rejoice in what Christ has done. And that we would have, Lord, a, a growing desire to make Christ known to our community and to all the world. And we'll thank you, Lord, and praise you for that grace. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we've seen the Lord bring the Israelites into the land, bringing them across the Jordan River. We saw the Lord give the Israelites victory in the land, defeating the nations that lived there in the land that God had promised for His people. We've seen God divide up the land among the tribes of Israel so they could each take possession of their allotment. And now we are seeing the book wrapped up where Joshua has two closing speeches, chapter 23 and chapter 24, two different speeches. Chapter 23 is focused more on the leadership. And then chapter 24, he talks to all of the people. And chapter 23 and 24 are all about God's desire for his people to thrive in the land. Not just to exist, not just to go through the motions. He wants them to thrive. He wants them to live according to his word. He wants them to cling to him as we read a little bit earlier. Now, these farewell speeches in chapters 23 and 24 come at the end of Joshua's life. In verse 14 of chapter 23, the Bible says that Joshua was about to go the way of all the earth. That's what he said, which meant that his death was near. The Bible says in chapter 24, verse 29, that Joshua was 110 years old when he died. So if he was near Caleb's age of 85 when the land was distributed, you can read about that in chapter 14, then these speeches would have come about 25 years after the battles and subsequent distribution of the land. It says there in verse 1 of chapter 23, a long time afterward. So after God had given them possession of the land, after God had divided up the land among the tribes, a, a, a time passed, maybe about 25 years, and Joshua knows he's about to die, and so he gives them some closing words of encouragement and challenge and, uh, and, and shows his desire, which is God's desire, for the people to thrive. Now, to understand these speeches, we need to understand a couple of things about Israel and the land. First of all, the Lord gave his people land for a purpose. He, he gave his people land for a purpose. It says there in chapter 23, verse 6, you shall possess the land. You shall possess this land the Lord has promised you. He, he gave them that land to possess for some specific reasons. You see, God brought Israel into that land so that they could be a blessing to all the other nations. Now, how could Israel, living in this land that God had given them, how were they to be a blessing to all the nations around them? Well, first of all, by demonstrating the difference serving and worshiping the one true God makes. The Bible says in 
in Exodus chapter 19 that the Israelites were to be a kingdom of priests. That means they were to make the one true God known to all the other nations in living faithfully for the Lord according to the dictates of His word and His truth. They were to demonstrate to the watching world, this is what it looks like. When you serve and worship and follow the one true God, it is a life of blessing. It is a life where you thrive, not just exist. And they were to live in that land, faithfully following the Lord, to show the other nations that it makes a difference when you worship the one true God. You might say, like this, Israel was a showcase. They were a case study, a living example For other nations to see. Which, by the way, this purpose still remains for God's people today. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says of the church, those who are Christ's followers, that we are a a holy nation, a a chosen people. We're to make God known to others. We're, we're We're to show the watching world that it matters when you follow Christ. It matters in your marriage, and it matters in your parenting, and in your family, and it matters in your community, and it matters in your workplace, and and it matters when it comes to your personal, emotional life. It matters when you follow Christ. And we're supposed to demonstrate to a watching world, this is what it looks like to be in the truth. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to know Christ and to live for His glory. And so He brought them into the land... So they could demonstrate to the other nations this is what it looks like to worship and serve the one true God. Also, God brought them into the land and he would bless the nations through them by sending a Messiah through his people who would die for the sins of the world. Way back in Abraham's day, Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you many descendants. And one day through your descendants, there will be blessing for all the peoples of the earth. The Lord meant by that, that I'm going to build a nation, I'm going to preserve the nation, I'm going to protect the nation, so that one day through that nation I can send one, the Messiah, who will come and as a perfect sacrifice go to the cross and die for the sins of the world so that if anyone from any tribe, any tongue, any language, any ethnicity, if they repent of their sins and place their faith in my son, Jesus Christ, they can be blessed with salvation. That, that, that's, what he, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's, he's bringing this nation into the promised land and watching over them so one day he could send a Messiah through them. And so that's why God is giving them the land. Building a nation, preserving a nation, using a nation to touch the other nations. And that's the purpose for God giving them the land. Now, keep that in mind. Joshua is saying here, he's brought you in the land, he's given you victory, and it's time to possess it. It's time to thrive. And he begins to explain what a thriving life looks like for God's people. So what I want to do is I want to show you from the text four necessities to spiritually thrive. There's some principles here for the people of Israel that certainly apply for God's people today. Four necessities to spiritually thrive. If if you're tired of going through the motions, if you're tired of just getting by, 
If you're tired of the spiritual roller coaster, if you're tired of apathy and inconsistency, this sermon's for you. Four necessities to spiritually thrive. Number one, this is so simple but so profound, keep God's Word. Keep God's Word. Look what Joshua says in verse 6. Therefore, now that God's brought you in, He wants you to possess. And therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Speaking of the, the canon that was completed at that moment, the canon of Scripture, at this time it was the, what we call the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And he's saying, you have God's Word, keep it. Live according to it. So how do you keep God's Word? Three things. Number one, be strong. Look, look how he says it in verse 6. Therefore, be very strong. Very strong. And that word very is a translation of a Hebrew word that could be translated exceedingly. It's, a, it's an adjective. So he's saying, don't just be strong. Be very strong. In other words, make sure you are intentional. Make sure you give focus to the Word of God. Now, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Amen? Amen. We all have strengths and weaknesses. But what Joshua is saying here is this. Make sure that one of your strengths is your interaction with the Word of God. Don't let that be a weakness. I mean, you may have other weaknesses, but don't let your interaction with the Bible be a weakness. Make sure that you do what you have to do for that to be a strength. Now, certainly, we need God's strength for that. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we are to seek God's strength and God's help so that we can make our interaction with God's Word a strength, not a weakness. So, be strong. Secondly... Know it. you got to know the Bible to live according to the Bible. Amen? It says there in verse 6, Be very strong to keep. To keep. That word keep is the word shamar in the Hebrew language. It means to watch over or guard. In this context, it means to pay careful attention to. If you're guarding something or watching over something, you're going to be vigilant. And when it's used in this setting, it means... Be vigilant with the Word of God. Keep your eyes on it. Give attention to it. Pay careful attention to the Word of God. So that means you and I have to know it. And when it comes to knowing the Bible, there is simply no substitute for reading the Bible. I say this all the time. I know I sound like a a broken record, but it's so vital. You must regularly, consistently engage the entire counsel of God's Word. Because if you're not reading the Bible, you're not going to be shaped by the Bible. You're going to be shaped by something else, and you don't want to go there. And so you and I need to make sure we are building into our lives habits that are going to help us engage the Word of God consistently. There's a lot we could say about that. I want to talk a lot about this at the beginning of 2018. We'll talk about some habits of grace, and it's going to be a major emphasis in the life of our church. 
But if you, you can email me this week and I'll give you some recommendations of some Bible reading plans and some helps that can help you to begin to, to engage the Word of God consistently and making sure that every year you're reading Luke, but you're also reading Habakkuk. Can I get a witness? And you're reading Malachi and Micah and Leviticus and Numbers and 1 Samuel and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and Hebrews and James and Revelation and Acts and and all of God's Word. You need it all. God gave it to us for a reason. 66 books and we need to take those books seriously. So listen to me. If you're not thriving in your Christian life, I can almost guarantee you, you're deficient in your focus on God's Word. I can almost guarantee you. And so, we've got to be strong. We've got to know it. You've got to read it to know it. And then third, we've got to obey it all. Notice what Joshua says. Be very strong to keep Oh, if he would just stop there, right? And to do. And if he would just stop there, right? But it doesn't stop. And to do what? All that is written. James says that the Lord wants us to be more than just hearers of the word. He wants us to be doers of the word. We hear We understand and we respond. That's the way you and I are to interact with the Word of God. I like the way J. Sidlow Baxter says it. There must be a brave adherence to God's Word. I like that. A brave adherence to God's Word. You know, growing up, I was always fascinated by these deep sea divers. They wore the special helmet and the special suit. and They would go down to the depths of the ocean and they would have a lifeline that would get them the, the oxygen they needed to survive uh, in, in the depths of the ocean. And as a, as a, a deep-sea diver would, would go down, there'd be more and more pressure from the water, and it would get darker and darker and darker, and that lifeline was of utmost importance if they were going to live. Have you noticed our culture today? The pressure's increasing. When it comes to living faithfully for Christ, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, for nonconformity, the world whips you with its displeasure. Have you felt that, Christian? Have you felt that pressure for just believing things that Christians have believed for thousands of years? Pressure. And have you noticed it's getting darker out there? Not a lot of light, a lot of darkness out there. And if you and I are not tethered to the Word of God, we will not experience spiritual vitality. We will not survive in this world if we do not have the lifeline of the Word of God active in our lives. I cannot, as your pastor, encourage you enough to make sure that you have a steady diet of God's Word in your life. There's a second necessity to spiritually thrive. Not only are we to keep God's Word, but secondly, we are to keep away 
from ungodly influence. In verse 7, look what he says. Keep the word of God, all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Don't turn to the right or to the left. So that, verse 7, you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. And then fast forward down to verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So here's what Joshua's saying. There's still some some other nations around you and even living in your territory that God's told you to drive out completely. And he's saying, if you don't drive them out completely and you become friends with them and they begin to influence you with their false gods, they will certainly lead you astray. And, and there will be serious consequences for this. He says, don't, don't, don't mix with them. Don't marry them. Now, now the... The, the injunction not to marry these other peoples has nothing to do with ethnicity. Nothing. It has to do with the false gods that the peoples worshipped. And here's how we know this. Remember Rahab? She lived in Jericho. She was a pagan idolater. And yet she believed in the one true God, came into the covenant people of Israel, and she married. She married an Israelite. And, and that was permissible because she had faith in the same God. She would not try to lead them astray. But here he's saying, if you marry these worshipers of false gods, before they believe in the one true God, they will certainly lead you towards idol worship and lead you toward infidelity. Keep away from ungodly influence, is what he's saying. David Howard writes this, The problem of mixing with the peoples of the land and ex- adopting their worship loyalties was the most severe problem throughout Israel's history. Did you hear that? What Joshua warns them about here was their biggest issue. He goes on to say, This problem affected Israel in almost every era. It quickly became the dominant problem in the period of the judges. It was the cause of Solomon's downfall and the split in the kingdom. It was the cause of the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, as well as of the southern kingdom of Judah. It was a problem even in the post-exilic period, when the people should have learned their lesson. So Joshua's speech here, he writes, contained ample warnings and signs of the troubles that were to come. Troubles that would be caused by Israel's associations with the nations that remained among them. Now, why is it such a big deal to compromise? To take your focus off the one true God and and put your focus somewhere else? Well, compromise dishonors God. Did you notice what Joshua said in verse 7? This is so important. He said that you may not mix with the nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Now, look in verse 9. For... The Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. What's his point? Listen, coming close. Joshua's saying, Israel, 
God has been very, very good to you. He's been very gracious. He's helped you in your battle. He's fought for you so that one man can put to flight a thousand enemies. He's watched over you. He's preserved you. He's protected you. He's given you this land flowing with milk and honey. He has poured out his grace and his mercy and his provision. Why would you now, in the faith, in the face of God's goodness, why would you be unfaithful to compromise when God has done so much? Dishonors him. And you and I can certainly resonate with that, can't we? Has God been good to you? I, I, I don't think you heard what I just asked. Has God been good to you? Have you been a recipient of the mercy and the grace and the power and the provision and presence of God? I have. He's been way better to Wade Humphreys than Wade Humphreys deserves. He's been good to me. And if I were to turn away from him into infidelity and unfaithfulness, running away from God to false gods and false worldviews and false religions, it would dishonor what God has done for me. So compromise dishonors God. It's like spitting in his face in light of all that he's done for you. That's what he's saying to Israel. God has given you this land. He's watched over you. He's given you power. Why would you now turn to false gods? Compromise also waters down our witness. It waters down our witness. Remember, they were to be a kingdom of priests to make the one true God known to the other nations. How could they make the one true God known if they were worshiping false gods? Instead of being distinctive, they would look just like all the other nations. They would fail in their witness. Over in Matthew 5, Jesus tells his followers and his followers today in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be salt in a decaying society. And we are to be light in a dark society. And Jesus said, listen to this, let your light shine before men so that they may See your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you and I are living unfaithful Christian lives, our light is not shining, is it? Our witness is compromised. So compromise dishonors God and and compromise waters down our witness. If people cannot see the distinctive difference that Jesus makes, they won't want anything to do with your Christianity. So, what does that mean for us in this room? This is a hard truth. You ready? We need to be intentional about separating ourselves from the wrong influences. That's what he's saying to Israel. Don't don't sidle up to these, these nations who are worshiping false gods. They will lead you astray. Don't do it. And you and I need to learn that principle. That if we allow the wrong folks to influence us, they will lead us astray. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says it like this. He who walks with wise men will be wise, listen, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoa. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
We're warned a bit about being unequally yoked. Light with darkness. There are principles that apply to marriage there. I don't believe a, a believer should marry an unbeliever. Because eventually, that unbeliever will lead the believer astray. It's going to happen. We need to separate ourselves from the wrong influences. Now, there's a tension in Scripture. You need to understand this. I thought about this a lot. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. So how can we be a friend of sinners, loving people that are far from God, and yet separate from ungodly influence? That's a head-scratcher, isn't it? How do you swing that? Listen to me. It all boils down to influence. Who's influencing whom? If you're around a group of people, and they are unbelievers, and they are influencing you to act like an unbeliever, you need to put it boundaries and, and get away. But if you're around some people that are far from God, and you're able to, with some accountability in your life, love them, speak truth to them, and you're influencing them, then that's a healthy relationship. Keep loving them. Keep speaking truth to them. But make sure that you don't begin to fall into the trap of saying, you know, their lifestyle looks kind of appealing. And maybe if, I just, maybe if I just lay down this one area and I just compromise this one area, it'll be okay. That's a slippery slope. And if we're going to thrive, we must keep away from ungodly influence. This certainly, let's just be real for a minute, this, this entails what we put in front of our eyes. Right? Oh, quiet. Ooh. What comes into our ears, what we think about, what we treasure in our heart. This involves so many areas. It was interesting, uh, this past year, uh, I read about a, a popular um, women's Bible teacher. Very well known, uh, wrote Bible studies, wrote books. And uh, she was just growing in popularity, and she eventually got a uh, reality TV show. Everybody thought it was really cool, this, this Christian lady getting this reality TV show, and she was kind of running in those circles. Lo and behold, guess what? She came out on Facebook, and she had changed her views on marriage. The idea that marriage is to be between one man and one woman until death should part them. She changed her view on that in the midst of all that's going on in our culture about marriage. Now, listen to me. The Bible didn't change. It's been the same Bible for thousands of years. She changed. And somewhere she began to run in certain circles that began to influence her to, to compromise on some truths. And before you know it, she's publicly saying that it's permissible for people of the same gender to get married. Which is antithetical to the word of God. It's truth. It's either truth or it's not. And if it's truth, you can't just pick and choose the parts that you want to like. And, and then just kind of dispose of the parts that may not be popular with your running buddies. We're to keep away from ungodly influence if we're going to thrive. Amen? 
Uh, two more things very quickly. First of all, uh, third of all, keep on loving the Lord. Keep on loving the Lord. Look what it says in verse 11. Be very careful, therefore. Don't run uh, after the gods of the peoples living in the land and around the land. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. I love that. To love the Lord your God. Listen to me. Joshua said, know the word, keep the word, do all the word. Don't turn to the right or to the left. But we understand by this verse that thriving in our spiritual lives, listen, is more than just rule keeping. Christianity is not some checklist kind of religion. Where if you just do the right stuff, then that's all that it entails. Christianity is a personal relationship with the living God. That's what it is. And he says here, don't forget, as you keep the word, as you stay away from ungodly influence, don't forget to love the Lord your God. We are to keep the rules. We are to keep God's word in the context of relationship. Because listen to me, rules without a relationship is drudgery. There are people who are trying to practice the Christian faith, and it's all about rule keeping. It's all about checking boxes. And they're worn out because they're checking boxes but not walking with God. They're not enjoying a personal relationship with the living God, so they're checking boxes in their own strength and power, and that's miserable. Rules without relationship is drudgery. Relationship without rules is anarchy. There are some folks who say, well, I don't need all that doctrine stuff. I just need Jesus. Just give me Jesus and we won't worry about all that that doctrine and theology. Well, you can't say that. If someone came to me and said, I don't need theology. All I need is Jesus. I would say, well, who is Jesus? And if they said, well, he's the son of God, I would say, that's theology. You can't know Jesus if you don't know who he is. You can't relate to God if you don't know his truth. So you can't just have this, oh, this touchy-feely relationship with no standard of truth. That's anarchy. You begin to make the rules. That won't go so well. So rules without relationship is drudgery. Relationship without rules is anarchy. We need both. And let me say it like this. Keeping God's commandments while enjoying our relationship with him is delight. Keeping God's commandments, because they're not burdensome, it says in 1 John 5, they're for our good. Keeping God's commandments while enjoying our relationship with Him is delight. We are to serve Him, obey Him from the overflow of a personal relationship with Him. Does that describe your Christian life? Are you thriving? Are you seeking to obey because you are in love with your Savior? You know, we know this to be true in all other relationships. I mean, I mean, what if my relationship with Claire was just a duty-bound relationship? Claire, I'm home. Come get your hug. Let me get this over with. I know I'm supposed to hug you. I'm a husband, and, and, and here's your hug. Talk to you later. Or, hey, uh, Claire, time for another date night. We'll figure out somewhere to go, and we'll go and get this over with. How would that make her feel as a wife? Awful, right? 
It's not about me just doing my duty as a husband. It's about me doing my duty as a husband because I love her. Huge difference, right? And some of you are saying, okay, God, I'm at church today. (sighs) Instead of saying, I'm here because I love you. I'm here because I need you. I'm here because I'm desperate to hear from you. See the difference there? And so I love this emphasis. Hey, I want you to thrive and possess the land. Keep the rules, but pursue the relationship. Keep on loving the Lord, which leads me to the fourth thing, and we'll be through. How can we spiritually thrive? Keep God's word. Keep away from ungodly influence. Keep on loving the Lord, and then fourth, keep God's promises in mind. Joshua closes this speech for Israel's leaders with some reminders of the promises of God. First of all, when we think about God's promises, we should trust God's promises of blessing. Look in verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, which means he's about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Everybody say good things. Good things. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. So he's reminding them here. God's made some promises for you and they're good. And he keeps his promises. And and if you keep living for him and loving him and clinging to him and obeying his word, you will experience the the blessing of God, the, the smile of God on your life. There are promises about good things, aren't there? And you and I, when we sing Standing on the Promises, we're talking about good things. The ways that God blesses us. But there is another side to this coin. Not only should we trust God's promises of blessing, but we should tremble at God's promises of judgment. Look what he says in verse 15. But... Just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he's destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. You see that? They're promises of God's blessing. If you will, live for Him. But they're also promises of God's judgment and discipline if you turn your back upon Him. And look at me, God always keeps His promises. Promises of blessing and promises of judgment. So we need to trust his promises of blessing and stand on the promises of God, his presence, his provision, his his power, eternal life through Christ. Those are promises that he's given us. They're good. But we also need to realize that if we get out of line and we begin to walk away from God, he has promised discipline. He's promised intervention. Let me tell you this, dear friend. God loves you far too much to just leave you alone. As a Christ follower, when you begin to veer, God loves you so much, he will intersect your life, sometimes in very painful ways, to get you back on the right path. Amen? Amen. He's done it in my life. One of the ways I know I'm a Christian is I can't get away with anything. 
God convicts. He, he intervenes. He, he transforms. He gets my attention. Aren't you glad for the grace of God that gets your attention when you stray? There are promises of blessing. Praise the Lord. But be aware. There are also promises of God's judgment if we disregard Him. My grandmother, uh, my dad's mother, was Italian. I mean, full Italian. Her parents came over from Sicily, came through Ellis Island. My grandma was born in Queens, New York. And she didn't speak English until she was six years old. I mean, she's Italian, full Italian. You say, Wade, how do you, how did we get to Wade Humphreys from that? Well, she she married a Georgia farm boy. But she was fiery, right? Um, but she was also so loving. I mean, she loved her grandkids, and if we were behaving, it was good. She would make me little breaded veal cutlets every time I'd come see her. She'd put a big stack. She'd make spaghetti sauce with meatballs. She, I mean, she could cook, and, and she loved to cook. And, man, when we were doing right, man, she was a blessing. It was good. It's fun to have an Italian grandma that can cook like that. But, man, when you crossed her. One time we were in her vehicle and she was taking me and my cousins, my brother and my other first cousins to a park. We are going to a lake to swim and have a picnic and we were real excited and, and we came to a red light and I was young and around bad influence. And my first cousin said, Wade, when we come to this red light, jump out of the car door and run all the way around and get back in. Well, that sounded fun. We stopped at the red light, jumped out of the door, ran all the way around the car, jumped back in. Grandma turned around, went back to the house, and it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Why? Hey, you're doing right? Man, blessing, blessing. But when you crossed her, it was serious. Hey, look at me real quick. God loves you. God has promised good for you. But when you disregard Him, it's serious. It's serious. We don't have the option to just disregard the Lord. So we need to take His promises, all of His promises, to keep His promises in mind. So here's what I want you to walk away with. God's people thrive. Everyone say thrive. God's people thrive as they love Him and faithfully live for Him. Would it be awesome if next week you gather and I ask you the same question I started the sermon with, how would you describe your Christian life? Wouldn't it be cool if you could come back next Sunday and say, Pastor, I am thriving in my walk with God. It's good to walk with Jesus.